All right, kids, come on up front. Come on up, find somewhere to sit. Keep coming, guys. Find somewhere to sit. Ready to listen? All right. Good to see everyone again this morning. All right. So as we start this morning, I want you to use your imagination for a little bit, okay? Imagination. So I want you to think about these things. Let's imagine there was a person who committed a crime. This person did something against. They broke the law somehow. And this crime was something really, really bad. Okay? Now imagine that that person is brought before the judge. Okay? And the judge declares that person guilty. All right? Without a doubt, this person has committed this horrible crime. What should the judge do next? Should the judge give past judgment on that person? Should the judge declare a punishment? Yeah, they should. Would that be a right thing for the judge to do? Yes, it would. But what if instead the judge says, well, I know you're guilty. I know you did this terrible, horrible thing, but I don't really care. I'm going to let you go free. Would that be a right thing for the judge to do? No, not at all. No way. Now, what if instead of a person committing a crime, imagine that a whole nation was doing evil. A whole group of people, all in one nation, was doing evil. And they were sinning greatly against God, this whole people group. Now, God knows their sin because God knows everything, right? And so God knows their sin. God knows how horrible the sin of this nation is. All right. So, we have a whole nation that is sinning greatly against God. He, God knows their sin because he knows all things. That would be really horrible. Would it be right for God to bring judgment on that nation? Yeah, would it be right for God to punish that nation? Yeah, it would be a right thing for God to do. So today in Habakkuk, we'll hear that God will bring judgment on that wicked nation of Babylon. Do you remember talking about hearing about Babylon before? Yeah, it's in Iraq. I think you're right, Liam. Way to go. So that would be a wicked nation. So God will bring judgment on them. So I want you to remember something. I want you to remember that God is just. Everyone say, God is just. Good. Good. God is just. That means that he will always do what is right. He will punish evildoers for their wicked deeds. And he will even punish nations for their sin. And when God brings judgment for sin, it's a good and right thing for God to do. That could be hard to have faith for sometimes, hard to believe. But in fact, the Bible shows us that we are to take comfort in the fact that God is just and that he will punish sin. We're to be comforted by that because we know that evil will be punished. Now, if we have faith in Jesus Christ, what happens with our sin? Is it punished? It actually is punished. It is punished because God is just. He has to punish sin. 
But where did the punishment for our sin take place? No, it was on Jesus on the cross, right? Jesus died on the cross. He took the judgment for our sin. He took the punishment so that through faith, you don't have to have that punishment. But God is just, and he still punished our sin on Jesus on the cross. But that's good news, isn't it? That Jesus took our punishment for our sin. That's really good news for us. And so we can have faith for that as well. So thanks for coming up and listening. You can go back and have a seat. All right, if you would turn in your Bibles to the book of Habakkuk. If you need a Bible, there are some in the seat in uh, front of the chair underneath, underneath the chair in front of you. So the book of Habakkuk in chapter 2 is on page 785 in those Bibles. So, uh, Psalm 119, 120, which I'm going to pray in just a minute, says, my flesh, my flesh trembles for fear for you. I am afraid of your judgment. So Habakkuk 2, 6 through 20 deals with God's judgment against Babylon. It's for two purposes, that we might fear God and that we might find comfort before God because of his judgments. That's the two reasons for this text. That you can fear God and that you can be comforted. That's what I'm praying, so I hope, I, I, that's what I want to come from this, that we might learn to fear him and that we might find comfort. Let me read these verses. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him? So this is God speaking against Babylon with scoffing and riddles for him, the him is Babylon, and say, woe to him, who heaps up what is not his own, for how long? And loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise, and those awake who, make, who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them, because you have plundered many nations. All the remnant of the people shall plunder you. For the blood of man and the violence of the earth to cities and to all who dwell in them. Woe to you! who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life. For the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, it is, not, is it not from the Lord of hosts that people label, labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the water covers the sea. Woe to him who makes his neighbor drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. 
woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Let's pray. Father, teach us to hate what you hate and to love your word. Your word is a hiding place, a shield. It is our hope. May those who are evildoers depart that we might keep your commands. So uphold us, God, according to your promises. Let us live. Let us not be put to shame because we hope in you. Hold us up that we may be safe because we regard your statutes continually. Father, all the wicked of the earth you'll discard. Therefore, we love your testimonies. May our flesh tremble for fear of you. May we be afraid of your judgments. In Christ's name, amen. Hopefully you'll remember that the structure of this book is rather straightforward. Habakkuk begins with a complaint. God answers him. Habakkuk has another complaint at the end of chapter 1. And basically all of chapter 2 is God's second answer to Habakkuk's second complaint. The first complaint is, why aren't you doing anything about the evil in Israel? bloodshed. Why do you idly sit by? And God said, I'm not not sitting by. I'm going to do something that will cause your hair on your neck to stand up. I'm going to bring Babylon, that wicked nation, to judge Israel. And Habakkuk's second complaint is, what? Why would you use a more wicked nation to judge a less wicked nation? Aren't you holy? Aren't you just? And God's second answer is twofold. One, trust me. The righteous will live by faith. Close your mouth. Trust me. And two, judgment is coming for Babylon. Everything that they've done that is wicked as a nation, they'll pay for. So keep silent. Fear me. So that's Habakkuk. And then because of God's judgment in chapter 3, we rejoice. We'll get there. Chapter 2, verses 6 to 20 has five woes. You heard that. Woe to him in verse 6. Woe to him in verse 9. Woe to him in verse 12. Woe to him in verse 15. And woe to him in verse 19. This section is actually something of a song. Verse 6 says, Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him? It's a, it's a taunting song. He's mocking Babylon in song for their wickedness. And God here is going to deal with five specific national sins in Babylon that God will bring into judgment. Plundering, they get rich based on fraud and murder. Ill-gotten security, so they take this wealth and they put their hope in it because they're so wealthy and so strong, nothing can touch them. Bloodlust. They love murder. They love 
death, sexual lust that shamed others. They uncovered the nakedness of others and used it, and God will do the same to them. And fifth, idolatry. And in some, God's judgment is you'll reap what you sow. You, you've plundered many nations, you'll be plundered by those you plundered. You think you got security and you dwell on high and nothing will touch you? It'll all be burned up. You, you live on a pile of hay. You make your neighbors drink in order to gaze on their nakedness. You'll drink my cup and all the nations will see your uncircumcision. Right? You've uncovered others. You'll be uncovered before them all. You put your hope in that which you've made, speechless idols. You will suffer for it. You'll reap what you sow. I'll give you what you got. I'll give you what you gave. They have, they'll get what they wanted but not in the way that they wanted it. That's God's judgment. It's terrifying. It really is awful. And in the midst of this judgment, there's kind of two glorious islands. Verse 14, the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord as the water covers the seas. That is, God's judgment will accomplish what his saints want. The whole world will be filled with his glory. And then verse 20, the Lord is in his holy temple. That is where his people go to worship him, is where they'll meet the Lord, and you can find silence and security there. So we'll get there. So first we do have to deal with God's just judgments. Again, for the purpose that you might fear him and find comfort. John Calvin says that there's three things to know about God, his mercy, his judgment, and his justice. And all of that knowledge of his mercy, judgment, and justice is given so that we might fear him and trust in him. And so the way to understand the fear of God is to have the faith to look square in the face God's judgments. Where do we learn to fear God except in considering his judgments? So let's look at these verses and Figure out what do we learn about God's judgments. First, he's going to judge Babylon according to his word. All of God's judgments against Babylon is to call Babylon to account for their sin in regards his objective law. God has a law. They continue to break it. And so God's going to judge them for breaking law. It's not arbitrary, it's not capricious, it's not how God feels this day but not the next day, it's an eternal word that they've broken and so they'll pay. Now this can be helpful for you, to you, apply this to parents, don't be arbitrary in what you discipline your child for. child shouldn't receive discipline because you're cranky, should be disciplined because they've broken a rule. Respect, tell the truth. 
Don't dishonor mom. Do what you're asked right away. And if you break the law, you get disciplined. But you don't get disciplined because mom or dad's upset. Same with God. God is not a capricious judge. He's not an arbitrary judge. Now, here, this judgment isn't applied to an individual, but to a nation. God is going to judge an entire nation because of their breaking of God's standards. So there is some question, sometimes in Christian mind, of whether or not God deals with nations rather than just individuals. We know that we'll each give an account, we'll be judged by God, but it's also true that God does this for corporate entities. You know, he does this families, churches, and nations. Why? Because he's the creator of them. He owns them. And sometimes, as Pastor Jeff said, nations are so corrupted that he'll bring judgment on an entire nation, even when there are individuals within that nation who aren't corrupt like everybody else. And so we, as a nation, ought to fear God here. But the specifics of his judgment in regards to his law So we need to fear God and his law. We need to take care in regards to God's law. We need to be careful to have the faith to keep God's law. We need to confess sin that are regarding his law. So first we learn that judgment is according to law. Second, God sees it all. Keeps record of all. Look at the detail here. He sees the intents of their hearts. He sees what they've devised. He sees where they've put their security in. He sees that their desire is to gratify their lusts. He knows even the building materials with which they've constructed their idols. I know you because I know myself that when we sin, we have this momentary atheism where we think God doesn't see. He won't call me to account here. Because we, we, we have this notion that if I do this, I'll get this judgment immediately. And we presume against God's patience when he is so patient with us, we take that then to mean that there isn't going to ever be judgment. We take God's kindness and forbearance and mercy as if there'll never be judgment ever. But God sees all. He keeps a record even nationally, of their sins. That should lead us to fear God. We know that Christ himself said that we'll give an account for every idle word spoken. The first judge according to God's law, God sees all. And I think the most terrifying part of this is they'll reap what they've sown. Look at verses 6 to 8. They've heaped up what is not their own. They've loaded themselves with wealth by ill-gotten charging of interest. And what will they get for them? All of their debtors will rise and call them to account. The ones that they've 
taken from will take all from them. They'll reap what they've sown. There's nothing more terrifying for a ruler than to have all those that they've ruled over unjustly rise up. And that's what they'll get. Look at verses 15 to 16. I found this the most difficult, disturbing part of this. Woe to you who makes his neighbors drink. So the picture here is of date rape, if you would. Babylon is make their neighbors drunk in order to uncover their nakedness and use them sexually. It's the kind of nation they are. And God says, just like you've been a cupbearer to the innocent, so I'm going to be a cupbearer to you and you're going to drink down my wrath. I'm going to uncover your nakedness before the nations. You're going to reap what you've sown. Again, Christ in Matthew 7, 2, with the judgment you pronounce, you'll be judged. With the measure you use, will be measured against you. We reap what we sow. We get what we deserve. Now, Christ says something similar to this as well. Right? A tooth for a tooth, an eye for an eye. Now, that actually is a statement of kindness because what God says is my, my justice will not go beyond what it deserves. Because earthly justice often goes beyond what it deserves. He's not here saying if you knock out somebody's tooth, you should get your tooth knocked out. He's saying to the extent that you do something wrong is to the only extent that I'll punish you. He limits his justice. The punishment fits the crime in God's justice, unlike on earth. This is terrifying for a nation, isn't it? And their wickedness knew no ends. And so God's judgment will fit their crimes. And what about this word woe? That's repeated five times. What does woe mean? One translation said, you're as good as dead. Babylon, you're as good as dead who gets evil gain for his house. You're as good as dead who builds your house on iniquity. You're as good as dead who makes his neighbors drink to look on their nakedness. You're as good as dead who worship wooden idols. You're dead men walking. Your nation is done. But God's judgment is here saying. So let's just focus on this national corporate judgment. In Scripture, God deals with humanity in two ways, individually and corporately. We will each individually give an account. We do need each individually to repent and turn to Christ so that God's judgment will fall on Christ and not on us. And because we live in a nation, a culture, that focused, that focused almost exclusively on individual. We're a very individualistic society, which has its goodness. We, we know that you as an individual need to take care of yourself, need to earn your way, need to work hard, need to take responsibility. That's good. But because the category as Americans that we almost exclusively live within is individual, we just really don't 
think about or understand this corporate nature. That God will call account our, not just us individually, but whatever part or nation that we're a part of. Nation, of course, is made up with people. And God deals with that corporate as a whole and not only as individual parts. And here Babylon is so rotten to the core, is so perverse, has gone so far beyond that in God's judgment, there's no turning back for them. And every individual within that nation will go down because of their part of the whole even if they're not as bad as the whole. Do you understand what I mean? So taken as a whole, they're so degraded and evil that they're sentenced to death. This is one way you can make sense of the parts of the Bible where God commanded Israel to go into the promised land and kill every woman, man, child, and animal. Because that nation is so corrupt that God has determined in his judgment because he's their God, he's their creator, he has the prerogative to judge them all. And that's difficult for us who live in a radically individualistic culture. But this is the Bible, isn't it? Why are you guilty before God? If I were to ask you that, and you were to not give me a Sunday school answer, and I were to ask you, why will you, apart from Christ, be found guilty before God? What would you say? Your initial answer would be, because I sin. But that's not the main reason. The main reason we're guilty before God is because of Adam and our corporate guilt in Adam. Because Adam sinned, all of humanity sinned. Romans 5, right? Adam sinned, and so we all sinned. Adam sentenced to death, and so we all died in Adam. We are found guilty corporately within Adam. But the reason that's so important is Christ, the new Adam, Just as we're all guilty in Adam, so we're all reconciled to God in Christ. Corporately, we're judged, sentenced to death in Adam. Corporately, God's people, by faith, are judged acceptable in the new Adam in Christ. God judges corporately. Praise be to God. If you only want to play on the individual level, then you got to make it right with God for your sin. And good luck to you. But because God deals biblically, corporately, covenantally in Adam, you're covered in Christ. Now let's apply this to our nation, to America. Are we as a nation accountable before God. Yes, but let me be careful here. America is not Israel. We're not a theocratic monarchy. 
we're, we're not the new Israel. We're just a nation like Babylon. We're not God's chosen people. We're not the city on the hill. We're a nation that God created, founded on Christian truth. So we have been the most wealthy, healthy, prosperous, blessed nation of God in the history of mankind. But we are now a nation under judgment. How couldn't we be? We have murdered 50 million unborn babies created in the image of God as a nation. Babylon is called to account for murdering tens of thousands. We've murdered tens of millions, and we know no shame. Why? Why have we done this? Because we want to have sex wherever, whenever, with whomever, with no account. That's it. And so we kill unborn babies because they're inconvenient to our sexual pleasure. We've done that. America. The Marxist, communist, Stalinists in Russia and China and Vietnam under Stalin and Mao and Pol Pot murdered 100 million. We've, we've done half that as a culture. Our greed as Americans knows no bounds. We'll take and take and take and take. Now, one of the things we do have to be careful with here that is going on in our culture is to say that America as a nation has always been evil, evil, evil. We're founded on rape and murder and pillage of the Native Americans. We're founded on slavery, of taking advantage of black Africans. And this is a, a lie being foisted, foisted upon America that from the very beginning that wicked white Protestant men only raped and pillaged and murdered. And the truth is the opposite. Of course, there were bad actors. There, there's always going to be in any good movement, in any good thing, those evil who take advantage of it to do evil. But the whole lie of dances with wolves or Pocahontas, where the white man is evil and the native is this good, idyllic, wise, is rubbish. America was founded by Christians. It, God did use white Protestant men to bring judgment on savage Native American tribes that were abhorrent. And we did real wickedness doing it along the way. And we did enslave black men and women who Native Americans enslaved and who enslaved others, including white people. So it's, it's not so simplistic, is it? It's difficult. We own our sin. We don't deny it. 
but we also give God glory for the great good that he's worked through our nation. And we are full of sadness over the current depravity of our country and accept that we are under the judgment of God. How couldn't we be? And so what do we do with this? I hope you fear God. I hope that we learn even more to hate our sin, to deal with the planks in our own eyes, to ask God to teach us to tremble before him, to believe Proverbs 1.8, that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, that the fear of God is the beginning of Christianity. And no one can turn to Christ without really fearing the judgment of God. And no one can really celebrate the grace of God unless we rejoice in the judgment of God upon his son and learn to fear him for it. And then secondly, the second half of the sermon is to find comfort in God's judgment. So that was the first half, fear God. Why is Habakkuk chapter 2 verses 6 through 20 there? Well, one reason is fear, but what's the main purpose here? Why did God say these things to Habakkuk? To what end? Comfort him. To comfort Habakkuk that God's justice is coming. Well, Habakkuk gets the message. He responds with a prayer in 3, 1 to 16 and a song in 3, 17 to 19. It comforts him. He learns, sitting before the feet of God, as Psalm 94.1 says, that God is a God of justice, a God of vengeance, and it gives great comfort to Habakkuk. And so a Christian is here sitting, learning from Habakkuk to take comfort in God's justice. O Lord, God of vengeance, O God of vengeance, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth, repay the proud what they deserve. We sang Psalm 5 this morning. Were you uncomfortable in singing to God for his judgments to come upon the earth? Habakkuk, as I said, has much in relationship to Psalms. It is like a psalm. It's very different than the rest of the prophets. It's a song singing, taunting a nation for God's promise of judgment. And in history, it happened. Babylon had been around since the earliest days. They were often under the boot of Assyria, a small nation, until they grew strong and conquered Assyria. They only lasted a short time until Persia squashed them. And they were decimated. But you're to find comfort in it. You know this is in the New Testament. Beloved, here's God speaking to you. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. That should shock you. Never take justice. Why? Leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him some of the drinks. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. 
Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Romans 12, 19 to 21. Comfort in the promise of God's future justice. I hope that this gives you comfort in our culture right now. Many of you have been very disturbed by this whole Russia hoax that was perpetrated against the president elected in the last four years, which was nothing but a lie, lie, lie. And it looks like no one, and I mean no one, will be held accountable for it. For the spending of millions and millions of dollars to perpetrate a hoax to unseat a president. <laughs> it was treasonous. And no one, no one will see any justice for it on earth. But justice is coming. Justice is coming. Justice is coming. Some of you need that. You yourself have experienced real injustice. You have been abused. You have been shamefully treated at work. And there has been no earthly justice at all. In fact, often you're blamed. You're blamed for it. If you would have been a better wife, you would have been a more compliant worker. Or the pressure is put on you to forgive your abuser when the abuser has no repentance at all. And so now there's something wrong with you for not forgiving and forgetting and acting like everything's okay. And, and you're twisted up in it. And the Bible has a real comforting word for you. God sees. And they will pay. Justice is coming. Which should also cause those of you who do such heinous things to fear God because you will not go unpunished. And the longer you delay, the more you'll pay before a holy God. And so I hope you can take comfort there. This is something Christianity has utterly neglected. And then lastly, I mean, as far as personal application to you, there's one more thing after this, is just take care that you yourself are just. Don't spread lies. This is something we've done in this political season. We repost things that are not true. We spread things that are lies, conspiracy theories that are lies. Don't do that, Christians. If you can't trust media outlets, which you can't, don't be like them. Now, lastly, verse 20. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. What is this holy temple? Well, if you read the commentators, they understand two things here. This is either heaven God is in his heaven. He is transcendent. He's above all else. The earth is but a footstool. And so all idolaters should look up to the triune God and forsake worshiping things on earth. That could be what he's going on here. The other is the Lord is in his temple. 
among his people. He, the only one true God, is worshipped by Christians in his church. I don't know which one is right, but I like the second one more. (laughs) I think this is a picture of his people among all the nations that worship idols, that worship earthly things, that trade the worship of the Creator for the love of creation, created things, that we alone gather before the one true living God, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we alone get to worship Him. And you know that worship causes us to be quiet. We come before God, we see Him in worship, and it silences our fear of what's going on in the earth. It silences our displeasure. It, you come before God and you learn to be still because He is God. That's the purpose of this worship. That you and all of your fear and sorrow and pain and loss and regret and demands for justice come before God. Get a reprieve. Look at Him Remember his gospel and his grace. See him in his power and his judgment to come. And you're like a mom who's been mommying all day long with her kids. Dad, come home and take him. And it's beauty of silence. That's what we're supposed to get in worship. Let all the earth keep silence before him. And so there is this thing coming where God's judgment will fully and finally come on earth and God's people will dwell on earth with God with no more sin, no more judgment ever to come and we can be quiet about calling out to God for justice finally. We can just trust and that's what we're trying to do now. We have the faith to trust God and so we come to that point of just quiet. That's it. I trust you. That's where Habakkuk got to. 2-1. I will stand at my watch post. I will station myself in the tower. I look out and see what he'll say to me. How he'll answer me according to the plan. He, he, he's quiet. So the Lord is in his holy temple. He dwells on high. He transcends all things. He will call on account to all people. Let the earth be silent for him. And you have the pleasure the privilege of gathering with your brothers and sisters every Sunday to worship God in his holy temple and trust him and rest in him. Let's pray. Father, please bring this text home. We might fear you, that we we might actually fear you, that we might know the, the terror that you are, your justice, your judgment, and that we might be comforted that our sins have been judged in Christ. There is no condemnation for those in Christ, and all injustices on earth, whether individually or corporately, will be called to an account so that we can be silent before you, that your glory will cover the earth as waters cover the sea, and so we can rest in that. So God, teach us to fear you. And teach us to take comfort in your judgments. In Jesus' name, amen.